Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Okay, well, welcome to the Bridgeway Podcast. Uh, We are continuing our five-week series on the Holy Spirit. Last week, Sam Storms talked with us about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, that um, that, that he is not an impersonal force, but um, a person with volition and affections and a mind, and um, we can have a relationship with him. And uh, that was a a great episode. If you you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today, we continue um, with with talks about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Um, I feel like if it, when you bring up the Holy Spirit, that's one thing um, that people often associate with um, his role is that he fills us. Um, but it's a very strange concept. It's not something that I'm super familiar with or, you know, talk about on a daily basis. You know, uh, I don't really use that language uh, to talk about any other subject. Um, and so uh, I'm really curious to talk about that today, as well as um, is being filled with the Spirit the same thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if they're different. How are they different? How should I think about both? So we're going to dive into some deep waters today, uh, and Sam Storms is back with us, so thanks for being here, Sam. And uh, so let's start off with, uh, usually you always take me a step back or or so whenever I ask the first question, but what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? All right, I'll take you a step back. (laughs) We need to recognize from the beginning that we're we're using metaphors. Okay, yeah. So people need to remember the word baptism, the word filling, are physical images. They are quantitative uh, metaphors. Uh, the idea of being filled, or we, we immediately think of, of an empty container and then pouring something into it. Right. Um, baptism, the idea of being immersed or saturated with something. And, and so we need to realize the Spirit is spirit. Mm-hmm. He's not a stuff. He's not a thing that you can, like this table that my hand rests on right now. It's not, he's not a tangible um, uh, physical reality. So from the start, let's all acknowledge we're talking in metaphorical language. Now, that doesn't mean it's any less real or mm. true. Metaphors are very point very much to truth, but they do it in non-literal, non-physical ways. So can, can I ask a question right there? Sure. Then? So because immediately when, when you say it's not necessarily the same thing as taking a cup and pouring water into it, I immediately think think about like, okay, yeah, of course I don't think about that, but I do think of it like in, in, in a movie, maybe when I see someone being possessed and you see this wisp floating around and it goes into a person and they're filled with that wisp, that spirit. I shouldn't think about it like that either. You you go to different movies (laughs) from, from the ones that I watch. I try to avoid those kinds. Um, in other words, you're talking about an int- uh, 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 something that is external to me yes. that enters into me. Exactly. Um, in that sense, yeah, and I think that's why they use the imagery of filling, because mm. that is precisely what is happening. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. Um, so l- l- let's talk about these two images. Let's start, let, me, let me back up and start with spirit baptism. Okay. Um, I personally believe, and I know that we might have some 
Presbyterian listeners who would disagree, but I think the Greek word baptizo, or mm-hmm. the, to baptize, means to immerse. Right. Some would say it means to dip or whatever, but I think its fundamental meaning is to immerse. So you think of a baptism, uh, you think, obviously, water baptism, you, you immerse somebody into the water, they become saturated and surrounded and drenched and soaked by that substance. Mm-hmm. Um as over against filling, which is this idea that there is this this person who is very powerful, who in some sense enters into me in a very extraordinary way and exerts a powerful influence on what I think, what I say, how I live, how I make choices. Uh, now, it's important to remember this. <laughs> the Spirit is omnipresent. Right. So... There, this is going to blow some people's minds, folks, so just settle down in advance, all right? <laughs> there is a sense in which the Spirit lives in unbelievers. Hmm. The Spirit lives in this table that we're looking at. The Spirit is what, by, by virtue of what Christ holds all things together, there is no place in the universe where the Spirit cannot be found. Mm-hmm. But unbelievers are not filled with the Spirit. They have not been baptized in the Spirit. They are not empowered by the Spirit. So the point being this. The Spirit is everywhere present, but He doesn't everywhere exert the same activity or make His presence known or do the same things everywhere that He is. Right. So, in other words, I, if we had a, an unregenerate person sitting here with us, uh, I could say there's a sense in which the Spirit is in you, but He's not doing in you what He's doing in me. Right. Because He's in me as a gift of God that brought about my new birth and opened my eyes to, to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has promised to lead me, guide me, convict me. He, th- that promise does not extend to a non-believer. Mm-hmm. So just getting that little theological distinction out of the way. So let me do this. Let me go a different direction if I can. Yeah. Instead of starting out with being filled with the Spirit, let's start with spirit baptism. Okay, great. I think what spirit baptism is describing is what happens to every Christian at the moment of their conversion. Hmm. Now, all of our classical Pentecostal listeners will immediately knee-jerk and, of course, you know, look with, you know, I don't know what kind of a look at their uh, their device that they're listening to this on and say, what? I thought spirit baptism happened separate from our conversion and at some time subsequent to it, maybe even years later. And I don't think that's the case. I think spirit baptism is what happens at the moment of conversion, when the, when Jesus, as it were, immerses us in the person of the Spirit, again, imagery, metaphor, Jesus soaks and saturates us, as it were, and I'm mm-hmm. emphasizing the as it were, lest you think that the Spirit is a liquid. He soaks and saturates us in or with the Spirit, the result of which is the Spirit permanently indwells us, and we are incorporated into the body of Christ. Mm. So it might be helpful to look at a passage uh, where spirit sure. baptism takes place, because um, I'm sure, especially for maybe people who have more of a Pentecostal leaning, sure. they're like, um, that doesn't seem to be what's happening when I read Acts 2 or something like that. Sure. Um, there are seven places in the New Testament where the language spirit baptism is used. Okay. Six of the seven are with reference to what happened on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> okay. The seventh one is in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where Paul talks about, in fact, let me just read 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Yeah. He says, for just as the body is one and it has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
because in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So I think that what Paul is saying there is all of us, he's talking to the Corinthians there or to any believer at any time, we have all in one spirit been baptized the result of which is we're incorporated into one body, this spiritual organism we call the body of Christ, mm-hmm. and we're made to drink of that same spirit. So, for example, um, you know, this is fresh in our minds because here at Bridgeway we're going through the Gospel of John. Right. And uh, in John chapter 1, uh, verses 29 through 34, John the Baptist contrasts water baptism with spirit baptism. Mm. And he, he says... I myself did not know him. In other words, I, I didn't know Jesus before he showed up. But he who sent me, that's the Father, he sent me to baptize with water, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with or in the Holy Spirit. So I think what um, we are being told there, and in every instance, this this. I'm going to go off on a, I'm going to ride a hobby horse. because This really... <laughs> irritates me a little bit, and I hope in a godly, humble way. You read most statements of faith of churches and organizations, and they talk about being baptized by the Spirit. The Bible nowhere says that. Mm. The preposition is in mm. or with the Spirit. The Spirit isn't the one who's doing the baptizing. Right. In every case, Jesus is the one who baptizes in or with the Spirit. Mm. And the imagery, again, is it's almost as if Jesus takes us and he immerses us in the element which is the Spirit, the result of which is the Spirit now permanently indwells us. We are soaked and saturated by his presence. So statements of faith need to be, need to be changed, in my opinion. Jesus is the baptizer. Mm-hmm. The Spirit is the element in or with which we are baptized or immersed. And so I think at conversion, Jesus immerses us in the Spirit. We are baptized in the Spirit. I think this happens to all Christians. The result of which, as I said, is we are incorporated into the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So if you're reading a a translation of the Bible that says we were baptized by the Spirit, just understand that's a bad rendering of the original Greek text. Mm. Um, And I don't want to get technical with the Greek, but I can can show you why that is the case if you're really interested. (laughs) We're not going to do that today. So how does that differ from filling? Mm. All right, that's a good point. Good question. Spirit baptism, I believe, happens once at the point of conversion for all Christians. Spirit filling describes the ongoing repetitive work of the Spirit by which we are uniquely and extraordinarily empowered by Him for some task, whether it's sharing the gospel or exercising some spiritual gift or resisting some temptation or um, saying, you know, rebuking the devil, whatever it may be. So this is important to remember. Although spirit baptism happens once and for all for every believer at the point of conversion, that doesn't mean that there aren't subsequent encounters with the Spirit of God throughout the course of the Christian life. Right. See, the, uh, th- this has been the kind of the, the, the reason for the controversy. Kind of the evangelical cessationists say, <clears throat> all, we get all of the Spirit we'll ever get at the moment we're converted. Mm-hmm. He's permanently in us, holy, without any deficiency. That's true. 
but they use that to deny that there are multiple subsequent encounters of a life-changing nature with the Spirit throughout the course of our Christian life. Right. Would the opposite be true of maybe some of the more traditionally Pentecostal camps? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They would tend to say, well, yeah, you received the Spirit when you were born again, but you haven't received the fullness Mm -hmm. of the Spirit until you've been baptized uh, at some time separate from and subsequent to your conversion. Yeah. And here's, here's my take on this. I think it's a I think it's a, a needless debate mm-hmm. that doesn't need to exist, and here's why. I affirm that spirit baptism happens at conversion for all Christians. He is fully and wholly in us. Um, we have the totality of the Spirit's being and person living within us, abiding and indwelling us as as we are the temples of God. But that doesn't preclude the fact that tomorrow or a year from now or 20 years from now, I can have an additional life-changing encounter with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. There are a number of texts that talk about this that, that, that refer to these subsequent encounters with the Spirit, and the usual terminology for that is being filled with the Spirit. Right. So you read through Acts, you know, you're reading, mm-hmm. and you read about Peter, um, I think it's in Acts chapter 4, um, where uh, you know, suddenly says, and having been filled with the Spirit, he spoke. Or Paul in Acts, uh, these are th- Acts 13 or 14, and being filled with the Spirit, he saw that a man had faith to be healed. Mm-hmm. So here are men, apostles, who obviously have the fullness of the Spirit in them. Right. And yet something in addition thereto is mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so that's what I think primarily distinguishes baptism, Spirit baptism from Spirit filling. Spirit baptism happens once for all at the time of conversion. Spirit filling can happen multiple times, hundreds of times throughout the course of the Christian life. Okay. And yeah. and, and again, um, I, I think the idea is that although the Spirit dwells in me right now, let, let's, just, let's just create a little scenario here. Hmm. You and I, I trust, have been born again. We've been baptized in the Spirit. He lives within us right now. Mm-hmm. Let's suppose that... Um, an unbeliever walks into this room where we're recording, sits down, and says, I need to understand this thing called Christianity. What is this right. gospel of Jesus? And you and I are looking at each other saying, well, who's going to talk first? And like, <laughs> uh, what do I say now? And then suddenly, almost imperceptibly, or even you could actually feel it, you sense this this boldness rising up in your heart. And you find your want either you or I or both of us find ourselves articulating the gospel with extraordinary clarity and mm-hmm. power in such a way that this individual begins to weep and says, I want to trust Jesus as my right. Lord and Savior. Yeah. What happened? Well, the Spirit who is permanently in us, as it were, began to work in a new and extraordinary and powerful way to give us increased clarity, boldness, and uh, the capacity to speak into that man's heart and life in a way that we might not have done otherwise. Mm -hmm. That's being filled with the Spirit. Absolutely. Um, And that can happen multiple times. The Spirit can, uh, let's say, for example, again, let's take another hypothetical. A Christian walks in and sits down and says, guys, I really, really want um, the uh, spiritual gift of mercy. I just find my heart is hardened toward those in need. And Hmm. could you guys pray for me? And we lay hands on this person. We ask that according to his will, because it's the Spirit's determination, Hmm. Would you grant this brother in Christ 
the spiritual gift of mercy. And the Spirit of God can do that right then and there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an experience that happens subsequent to his conversion. Um, there are other things that the Spirit can do. To You know, somebody comes in and says, hey, I'm, I've got a temptation in my life that is just overwhelming me, and I'm almost, I'm almost falling into a daily addiction. I need prayer, and you and I, again, pray for this individual, and he or she experiences an incredible surge of the Spirit's presence and power in their life, and they walk out of here finding themselves with a new capacity to say no mm-hmm. to that particular temptation. What happened? We could call it spirit filling. We could call it anointing. We mm-hmm. could call it empowering. We could say the spirit fell upon that person because the Acts talks about the spirit falling upon people. Again, a, a very graphic metaphor. Right. But all of those experiences, I think, fall under the general category of being filled okay. and empowered for a crisis uh, situation or for a particular need that is being expressed in prayer. All those are different from spirit baptism. Hmm. So here's the reason why I think I'm coming full circle. Here's the reason why I think this is a needless debate that unfortunately has divided Christians. The issue is this. The issue is, are there biblical texts that justify or warrant us to conclude that a Christian throughout the course of his or her life can have multiple, life-changing, powerful encounters with the Spirit of God? Hmm. The answer to that is yes. Yeah. So does it really matter what we call those? Hmm. In other words, are are we hung up on terminology? Because you started out asking me, what's the difference between baptism in the Spirit and filling with the Spirit? Now, I think there is a difference, Hmm. but as long as we affirm that we are immersed in and receive the Spirit in fullness at the time of conversion and affirm that we can yet experience even greater manifestations of His power in us, is it really worth dividing and creating separate denominations because you call this that and I call that this? Right. Do you think that's the issue, though, that it's, it's a terminology debate, or is it that the the baptism that comes, we mean something different by that, that it's a greater spiritual enlightenment or... You're a second-class Christian until you experience well, that. Yeah, the, 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 those are tangential added elements okay. that, that, that come about as a result of this idea that spirit baptism is separate from and subsequent to conversion. Okay. Because you're right. Down through history, there have been some, and I don't want to accuse the majority of Pentecostals. Definitely not. But there have been some who have said what you just said. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not, you're not walking in the fullness of the Spirit until you've been baptized in the Spirit. Right. Or you are kind of a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God mm-hmm. because you haven't experienced spirit baptism, which is accompanied by speaking in tongues. That that creates this uh, this dual citizenship in the kingdom. Yes, uh, first-class, second-class Christians, which is highly divisive mm-hmm. and offensive, and it's thoroughly unbiblical. Right. But I think the majority of Pentecostals, if they really think through this, would say. Well, of course, we believe that somebody at conversion receives the fullness of the Spirit, but there is this extraordinary empowering mm-hmm. that can be really life-changing that can happen later, maybe even years later. And I say, you're exactly right. right. But why call that Spirit baptism? I think the New Testament calls it Spirit filling. Yeah, but your other point is, at the end of the day, who cares what we call it? Right. As long as we affirm the core doctrine of, at conversion, we receive the full Holy Spirit, yeah. and then that we know that we should be 
seeking out, praying for, and expecting subsequent absolutely fillings or baptism, whatever we want to call it. The term isn't the important thing let necessarily. Me, let me give my illustration. Okay, I've used this in several of my books, so some of the people will will be familiar with it. If uh, let's say before our podcast started, David, you came to me and said, "Sam, I don't know if I can do this podcast. I've got a splitting headache." Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully, I would pray for you to be healed. Yes, <laughs> but let's just assume, and people, just bear with me, that you aren't healed when I pray for you. Mm-hmm. And I say, "Oh, don't worry. Let me reach into my briefcase. I've got a bottle of aspirin, and I hand you two tablets. Mm-hmm. And you take them. And ten minutes later, I say, "David, how's your headache?" And you say, "Wow, it's gone." Mm-hmm. Those aspirin have incredible medicinal power. They they've brought healing to my pain. Right. And then I say to you, "Well, David, I've got some bad news. They weren't aspirin. They were Tylenol." <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Or okay. I, or ibuprofen. <laughs> right. And you look at me and you say, "Aspirin, smaspirin. I I don't care what you call it. It worked. Point, it worked. <laughs> it was real. Yeah. It had healing properties to it that have alleviated the pain and removed my headache. So here's my point. Um, It really, in the final analysis, doesn't matter whether you call it baptism or filling. The question is, did you have a real life-changing encounter with the Spirit of God? That's the issue. Um, So that's what we have to determine. Are there texts that warrant us concluding that there are genuine, real, effective, life-changing, empowering encounters with the Spirit that happen repeatedly throughout the course of the Christian life? And my answer is absolutely yes. Mm -hmm. I personally would not call any of those being baptized in the Spirit. I would call them empowerments, anointings, fillings. Um, But if if you insist on saying, well, I'm going to call one of them the baptism of the Spirit— I'm not, okay, you know, let's aspirin, go. Aspirin, smash burn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the question is, was the encounter real? Was yeah. it true? Was it is it is it grounded in the truth of Scripture? And if it is, I just don't think that we need to get all up in arms over what we're going to call it. Now, mm. in saying that, let me be real clear. I'm not suggesting that we can play fast and loose with biblical terminology. Right. You know, there's, there's a reason why these terms are used. And I think we need to try as best we can to be faithful to the meaning that the Bible gives to these terms. Mm -hmm. But the label, the terminology itself is not the critically important point. The critically important point is, did it actually happen? Mm -hmm. Does the Spirit really do those things? Yes. So that's why, um, you know, I'll sit down with classical Pentecostals, whom I love dearly, and I'll, you know, we'll look at the text and we'll probably, you know, argue over how to properly interpret them. But at the end of the day, as long as we agree we receive the Spirit at conversion and we can continue to experience extraordinary empowerings or infillings of the Spirit throughout the Christian life, if we can agree on those two truths, let's not divide over what we call them or mm-hmm. how we label them. Right. Well, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't lean back into one other question um, about this topic that I'm sure some people are thinking. I'm definitely thinking it. Um, When I read, especially Acts, and I see these baptisms of the Holy Spirit, or so I feel like I've been taught to call them, or I think they're in the text. I can't, you you got me questioning everything now uh, with terminology. (laughs) Um, But I think this, there's this idea and this teaching that when the, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes, falls on a person, 
And the evidence of that is they start speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. And that is a marker of a um, cataclysmic shift in a, in a person's life or a stake in the ground moment for them. I mean, I have so many friends who grew up um, in, in, in traditions that taught this. And um, they they sought for years to have that experience, and I, I have some that feel like they genuinely had it, and others who feel like they manufactured it in order to meet the status quo. Uh, so, what's happening in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes, people start speaking in tongues? Is that something that we need to be expecting today? Um, is that is that something unique for that time period and what Je- what God was doing uh, in Ju- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? Like, what's happening there? Because that's been confusing for a long time. Yeah, boy, that opens up a wide vista of dialogue. <laughs> Let me try to put it in manageable terms in the time we have. The interesting thing about the gift of tongues and acts is it's only mentioned three times. Mm. And that shocks people when they it hear does. That. Yeah, it shocks me. Yeah. It's found in Acts two. Okay. You know, they you know, it says they are filled with the spirit and they spoke with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. It's found in Acts ten mm-hmm. when uh, Peter shares the gospel with the Gentiles. This is the first movement beyond uh, Jewish circles, as it were, into the Gentile world with Cornelius. Right. And it says that he believed in the gospel, the Spirit comes upon him, and he begins to speak in tongues. Uh And then there's Acts 19, where Paul encounters some disciples of John the Baptist. And, uh, you know, we could look at each of these. Let's let's take them one at a time. Acts chapter 2, those are in the upper room are already believers. We know that. They, they are followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus says in John 13, you're already clean. Um, they have trusted in him as the Messiah. And they are living, obviously, in the overlap between the time before Christ and the time subsequent to him, between pre-Pentecost and post-Pentecost. So there's no other way that they could have received the Spirit than the way that it actually happens. In other words, you and I do not live in a time where the Spirit has not yet come, but we're already believers. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the, the Pentecost has come. It's a, it's a historical fact. Yes. The Spirit has been poured out. They are living in the overlap in this transitional uh, uh, period of time. And so people have said, well, look, since those in the upper room were already born again, you know they've been believers perhaps for several years, and now they're baptized in the Spirit. Well, that's true, but it could, how could it have been otherwise? Mm. Because the Spirit had not yet been given. Right. Spirit baptism wasn't a reality yet, so there was no way that, that their experience could have been other than it was. So it's hardly a model or a paradigm that we should expect to be repeated in us. <clears throat> um, then the Acts 10 passage. That, again, is a decisive movement of the gospel beyond its Jewish boundaries into the Gentile world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Peter looks at what happened. He says, wow, it's obvious that these Gentiles have received the Spirit in the same way we did when they believed. And one way we know this is that they're speaking in tongues. Right. Before that, he was pretty hesitant. Yeah. yeah, Like, he wasn't really all in on the Gentile thing. Sure. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. For a variety of reasons. Yes. Um, and then in Acts 19, we have, again, a very unusual, utterly unrepeatable situation. Oh, right. We have disciples of John the Baptist who had never heard about Pentecost. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have Twitter. They, you know, they didn't have, they couldn't, hey, you guys over in uh, the Galilee just want to tell you what happened down in Jerusalem. You know, we, we just had the spirit of, what? 
so here are those who had believed John's message, who had been baptized as repentance. They were looking for the coming of the Messiah, but they had not heard. They said, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, that didn't mean they questioned whether he existed because mm-hmm. the Old Testament obviously is filled with it. They're saying is, basically what they're saying is, we didn't know there was a Pentecost. We didn't know that this spirit had been poured out. Yeah, That's why Paul then said, preaches the gospel, teaches them about Jesus, baptizes them in water, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. there's a real sense in which they weren't genuinely converted because all they had believed was the preparatory message of John the Baptist. Right. So I don't think you can use those as examples that are, that are a standard or a paradigm for us. The only other example, and this is a difficult text, is in Acts chapter 8. When the gospel goes to the Samaritans, mm-hmm. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, right. the gospel breaks through to the Samaritans, and the text says that... Um, Peter and I can't remember, Peter and James come down because only Philip's there right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip the evangelist evangelized them, and it says they had not yet received the Spirit. Right. So, whoa, wait a minute. They believed in Jesus. They're baptized in water, but they uh-huh. had not yet received the Spirit. Doesn't that prove right. that the Spirit comes separate from our conversion? And here's here's my response. And this is a long and involved issue. We have to remember that these are Samaritans. We in the 21st century don't realize the incredibly intense hatred that Jews and Samaritans had for one another. Mm-hmm. I think this is a highly extraordinary, unusual, one-in-a-lifetime case where God temporarily suspended the outpouring of the Spirit on these believers to give time for the apostles in Jerusalem to, to come to where these Samaritans were and to lay their hands upon them as a way of saying, look, the barriers, the obstacles, the division between Jew and Samaritan is overcome in mm. Christ. We are one body together. If, if, if the Samaritan church had been birthed separate from the approval and endorsement of the apostles from Jerusalem, you could have had two separate churches yeah. that would be divi- divided along the same racial lines that had existed for centuries. So... I think God suspended the the giving of the Spirit on this one occasion because the apostles Peter and James needed to come down and so people could watch them. We as Jewish believers in Jesus are laying our hands Mm. upon and saying, yes, these Samaritans are brothers and sisters in Christ as a way of preventing a division uh, that existed for centuries to persist in the body of Christ. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because uh, Acts 8 has always been a hard passage mm-hmm. for me because uh, it's used for so many different arguments. Mm-hmm. It br- it's brought into the cessationist argument, right? It's it's brought into this, this spirit baptism argument. People use it for all different kinds of things. But what you're saying is that uh, Acts 8 isn't, isn't setting up a pattern to follow. It is making a theological point. Exactly. Yeah. And again, just in terms of, you know, you asked the question about Acts, there are probably a dozen or more descriptions of conversions in Acts that have no reference to speaking in tongues whatsoever. Mm, if it was if it was the identifying factor of conversion or actual indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it would be listed every time. Exactly. Yeah. Now, again, I believe very much in the gift of tongues. I yeah, just you just wrote, wrote a book I on it. I wrote a book on it <laughs> called The Language of Heaven. But it is not the definitive sign of anything mm. any more than any other spiritual gift is a definitive sign of anything. Right. 
Um, it does not separate out the super spiritual from those who are subspiritual. Um, so I don't believe that tongues necessarily follow spirit baptism. Sometimes it can. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when people get converted on the spot and they are baptized in the spirit, they, they can receive the gift of tongues at that very point. Mm-hmm. But I would think in most cases they do not. Um, you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 to the Corinthians, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. Right. Well, guess what that means? Not all of them did. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it, it's very clear that it's not something that is necessarily given to all at the time of conversion. Yeah. Well, I think that's 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 all extremely helpful, actually. Um, and so let, let's ask this last question as we wind down and just say, so what do we do then? Is there anything we can do? Um, to open up ourselves to be filled with the Spirit of God? What, what, is it the Christian's responsibility? Um, is it just something extra that we do? Um, like, yeah, what, what do we do to be filled with the Spirit? That is a fascinating question, and the amazing answer is there's not a definitive, really clear text that tells us. Mm. We do have Ephesians 5.18. I just turned to it in my Bible. Let me right. just read it. Where Paul gives this exhortation, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a present tense imperative. Go on being repeatedly filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't tell us how. However, some say that actually he does. Because hmm. some would render this, be filled with the Spirit by, by addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, and so on. And so some argue, and it's it, grammatically it's possible. Mm-hmm that Paul is giving us the means by which we get filled. It's you get filled when you turn your heart to worship God and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and you give thanks to him in the name of Jesus, and you submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Mm -hmm. Others say that those statements are the result of being filled with the Spirit. Hmm. It's hard to know. Yeah. But obviously, if, if Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, you would think that that you that he would say, yeah, and there are some things you can do to make right. it happen. It sounds like a command. It's it not is. Like, be filled with the Spirit as like this passive thing that just happens. So in the absence of texts that give us actually, uh, you know, steps to take, <laughs> right. like uh, we all like it. Give me three points, you know, <laughs> tell me the five ways to be filled with the Spirit. I think we can piece together a couple of points. I would say, first of all, Keep a clean heart and walk in holiness. Mm. In other words, and the reason I say that, Ephesians 4, 30 and 31, where Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. In other words, we grieve him by unrepentant sin. So to repent of sin and to walk in holiness so that we don't grieve the Spirit might be the first step we take in actually being filled. Then secondly, let's just ask for it. I mean, Luke 11, we're, now granted, Luke 11 is pre-Pentecost, but I still think it applies. Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, he's already given us the Holy Spirit in one sense when right. we were converted. But I think there are texts that talk about even increased experience of the Spirit. So I, if I, for example, let's go back to our illustration. The guy walks in who's an unbeliever and sits down and says, hey, I want to know what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. Quietly in my own heart, I'm going to cry out, Spirit of God, please fill me yes. right now. Do whatever you have to do in me. Give me 
give me insight into his condition. Let me know what are the burdens of his heart. Give me the words to speak. So I think we have to pray um, for the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, Galatians 5.25 is the exhortation, walk in step with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting metaphor yeah. again. Align yourself, your life, your decisions with what you know from Scripture the Holy Spirit would have you to do. Um, thirst after Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. g- cultivate as best you can in the Spirit's power a deeper hunger for Jesus. You know, Jesus talks in John 7 about those who thirst after him uh, will overflow with living waters when he was referring to the Spirit of God within us. It will well up within you. Um, and the interesting thing about in the book of Acts, where you think there would be instruction on what to do, there isn't. It just says that as they were making their way through life, day in, day out, and they encountered urgent crisis situations, mm-hmm. it says, and they were filled with the Spirit. Right. I don't know if God sovereignly does that. Yeah. Or if they were silently praying, oh, Spirit of God, fill me, empower me for this particular act of ministry mm. or prayer that I'm about to pray. We just aren't told. Right. We're, we're told to be filled, but unless that passage is telling us how, we don't really have any text that gives us instruction. Yeah. I know that's frustrating. <laughs> I mean, look, yeah. I'll just give, just personally, where we can kind of conclude this. Every time before I preach, I very consciously and intentionally am saying, Spirit of God, fill me right now. Fill me with power. Uh, don't let me focus on myself. Let me focus on Christ and what the Word of God is saying about Him. And I just have to trust that the Spirit of God is doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the key element is keep a clean heart, be quick to repent, confess your sins, and ask, Lord, um, empower me, fill me inundate me yet again uh, by the by the spirit who even now indwells me mm-hmm. definitely and and I think there is something about the lack of this five-step plan in the Bible that that kind of coincides with that last point you made which is um, the Holy Spirit is a person and God sovereignly works and the Holy Spirit works um, of his own will to do things I'm reminded of when Jesus says, like, whenever you go before the leaders, you know, don't be afraid of what you'll say. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Exactly. And it's like, he'll just do it. Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't mean don't pray and don't ask. But I think we should also be comforted by the fact that the Holy Spirit in us is going to work. He's going to do things. Mm-hmm. And to me, that gives me great comfort as a Christian uh, to know that whenever I go into a situation, prepared or unprepared, um, the Holy Spirit is with me and is going to have action and is going to fill me. Uh, and I can lean on him to be smarter than I am, to to beat me to my requests even sometimes. Um, and that, that gives me quite a bit of comfort, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and again, I I would just, um, if there's one takeaway from this podcast, I would, I would just encourage people to uh, stop quibbling over terminology. Mm-hmm. As long as the substance of what we are trying to get at is is clear and we agree on the reality of the substance uh, whether it's aspirin or Tylenol or ibuprofen <laughs> does it work is it real do we have biblical warrant for mm. anticipating these experiences with the spirit um, I know some are gonna you know because there are <clears throat> some denominations actually that have built their entire identity around this issue right and I think that's unhelpful and I would just 
pray for unity among Christians across the spectrum of evangelicalism. As, that, that let, let's focus on the what rather than the how we are going to call it or what we are going to call it. Yeah, well, it's really, it's really helpful. Thank you, Sam, uh, for being here for last week and this week. Um, and uh, next week we're going to be talking about um, spiritual growth. How do we grow in our relationship with the Spirit? Um, and uh, we one of our one of our staff members, Crystal Partsy, will be here to talk to us about that. Um, and we'll continue on uh, two two more weeks after that with uh, how do we dis- d- depend on the Spirit, listen to His voice, and then Sam will be back with us to cap everything off to talk about the Spirit's power. So we're yeah. looking forward to that. So uh, stay with us, and um, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.